Welcome back to the X Show today, listeners. I am your host, as always, Tony Shu, and here with me, as usual, I have my wonderful therapist wife, Donna, with me. You want to take it home, Donna? Hello there. Good morning to everybody. It is morning for us when we are recording this. I'm Donna Shu, licensed marriage and family therapist associate with my private practice in Plano, Texas, called Serenity Counseling, as you all know. And as usual, we have a quick disclaimer that what is discussed here is for entertainment purposes and does not constitute mental health advice. So that being said, take it away, Tony. That's right. Hashtag go see a professional if you have problems. And if you even want, you could talk to you could talk to the chosen professional of your children. All right, so today we have a special guest with us today, Dr. Sabrina Ellis. She actually won, uh, was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award by, uh, you guessed it, Barack Obama, uh, one of the great presidents of mm-hmm. our time. I certainly think that he was an excellent president. Mm-hmm. And, and she wrote a book called Wife Life. And we're going to kind of talk, we're going to talk about that today. It's about, um, well, what happens when, how, how, which she can explain a little bit better, but it's in essence is about how to prepare for what happens if you, if a, if a woman somehow uh, ends up getting divorced or on un, the un, most unfortunate case, getting widowed through no fault of their own. I kind of had to handle that and prepare for that. Uh, would you care to introduce yourself, doctor? Sure. Thank you, first of all, for having me on the show. I'm excited about this. But I am actually formerly a pastor, uh, executive pastor, and then a lead pastor. And I came to this information because I've watched, even from my childhood, um, how women were left really uncovered, unprotected, um, not secure after losing a spouse, whether it be to widowhood or divorce. And so I decided to write about it after it became um, such a an issue for me, just watching it again. And then also, as a kid, experiencing my mom, my parents' divorce mm-hmm. and watching how our lifestyles changed so drastically. And it is not uncommon. Divorce is not right. uncommon at all. Yeah, so. Right, right. And, and and neither is widowhood. Very honestly, I think we spend a lot of time um, getting excited and preparing for that big wedding day, and then but we don't think much past that other than all the things that we can acquire: house, children, cars, you know, pets, right. and all of those things. But nobody really wants to think about the end. Yeah, some of your stats here says seven out of eight people who become widowed each year are women. That's and like the average age for that is fifty five years old. So a woman at that age is like, what am I supposed to do now? Let's not forget that's the exactly. average age, and so there's there's both so, much younger and much older. Right, and so let me just let me say this to you all at, at the front end of this discussion. I wrote the book in ni- in twenty nineteen. It was to be launched in 2020, but we all know what happened in Mm -hmm. 2020, the pandemic hit. So I really wasn't able to launch it like I wanted to. But what is ironic for me is that by the end of 2020, I became that widow. 
My husband mm. passed away in September of 2020. And so now I am living, and I, and I don't mean in a negative way, but I'm living what I was talking about when I wrote the book in 2019. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's close to home. Very close to home. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's it's something that I don't, even people who are, maybe a little bit more financially secure. It's not to say that the challenge isn't there because you're not just going through the logistical changes that your life is going to be throwing at you when you lose your spouse, but you also experience a lot of grief and loss of your lifestyle, grief that you lost someone that you loved and you having to manage all of their unfinished business too. So it's a lot. Right, It is a lot. Not yeah. to even talk about like, you know, the lost income, the fact that there's frankly just half of the capacity to help out with whether it was going out of the house, any kids that they have any, and just the general life upheaval that such an event can really represent. Yeah, sure. So the, the, the full title of the book is Wife Life, Securing Your Future. And so it, it deals with the the things that we need to consider while things are good and not necessarily waiting till somebody is sick unto death. And, but one of those things is insurance. What people sometimes don't understand about insurance is that it is intended to be replacement income, not just being able to say, so-and-so left me a lot of money for spouses, And for children, it is replacement income. So if you lose your spouse, whatever that income has been for a number of years, that income stops immediately. Mm -hmm. You no longer have that income. So let's say it's $100,000 a year. Well, that's $100,000 a year immediately subtracted from your budget. If there is no insurance policy, you don't even have replacement for a certain amount of time. You know, of course, of course, according to the amount of the insurance will determine how long, you know, you can live or move forward. But if there's nothing, you know, you, you can only imagine what that looks like for a wife who has children. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think... I think in a, in a sense, it's it's like a buffer. You know, it, it is, like you said, it's replacement income and allows them to have a, have a little bit of a buffer instead of potentially being, you know, if they don't have any savings left over, to, um, to potentially being destitute. And so I think it's important to have that buffer so that they can adjust properly. They can take the time because so many things are happening and they're allowed to adjust to the fact that they just lost, you know, someone who's very important to them, who's very integral to the family unit and, and, and be able to deal with that at a reasonable pace instead of potentially just being like, well, you you lost, you lost your husband or whoever it was and snap. Now you gotta, now you gotta figure out how to make an extra $2,000 this week. Right. Right. And as it pertains to widowhood, statistics also say, that four out of five women who become widows will will become impoverished or live in poverty 
five years after the loss of their spouse. Mm, that's really high. That, is, that is sad. And, and I think the thing for me is why does it continue to happen without anything, without anything happening that would help us to start to turn the corner in a positive way? What have you and noticed? I, I know I'm I'm just one person. I'm just kind of probably a Johnny come lately as it relates to the discussion, but it is still a major concern. No, no, I agree. What have you noticed in your experience that really, I would say, is a commonality other than the the statistics, but something that you see that a lot of women struggle with where they say something that you hear all the time. I get that a lot in my practice. Like if someone is going through grief, they, they end up having to, they, they're mourning the loss and the things, I don't know, like social security, they need to wrap up a lot of affairs from their spouse. And a lot of the times they don't know how to wrap that up and maintain their home and maintain their adult children. And it's it's a whole family the whole family is affected by the loss and on top of that they need to have all those financial bits not just financial but they have to organize the funeral they have to organize if they're going to do a wake if they're going to do a, whatever they end up doing it's i feel like at least from my experience working with people who are on that side they get extremely overwhelmed Absolutely. It is overwhelming. But imagine all of that that you just mentioned, and then you discover there is no money. Mm -hmm. So you're struggling to cover the expenses of a funeral. Or you discover that the house that you've been living in does not have your name on it, which means it becomes an issue of probate and you or or you just have to move out. Now, I am thankful that personally, none of those were my issue. I am so thankful for that and grateful for that. But and so I what I got to experience is what it does, how meaningful it is to have a policy to be able to live and move forward. Maybe not live like I was living, because that is not two salaries now, but I can live and be okay. Mm. There are so many women who cannot, and so then they do have the overwhelming factors that you just mentioned of all the things that have to be taken care of, and then to discover, I don't have a home to live in, I don't know how I'm going to survive, there's not enough money. There's not, you know, all of these things. And so what I'm suggesting in the book is that you prepare and secure your future early on. And then, you know, whatever business you, it takes to prepare to, to, make, to ensure that you're okay, you can put it away and you don't have to deal with it except to, up, to update it. But it's inevitable somebody's going to die. If, if the marriage is great and you stay together and you, and you, and you're able to keep the vow till death do us part, somebody is going to die. And then you also have 
the 50% rate of divorce. So, you know, you know that half of the married people are going to divorce. And I think the issue, though, is that nobody wants to think about the bad stuff mm-hmm. when you're going into the relationship. It's supposed to be a happy time. There's the honeymoon, all of that. But even the honeymoon ends. And, you know, just best to take care of business in the beginning. Right. Right. And I think that's, you know, that is an important thing to prepare for. You know, I think in, in, in modern culture, you know, a lot of times people think of it as, you know, knock on wood, don't talk about it. Because if you talk about it, it'll get a little bit closer to happening. There's some kind of superstition yeah. like that. But the reality is that these are important things to talk about when you're preparing for preparing financially so that it's not as much of a burden to you. Because let's be real, it's always a burden. Grief is always a burden. Divorce is always a burden. But it doesn't have to be. You don't have to tack on financial struggling on top of that. And I think right. that, you know, that when you look at... That when you that when you look at it, you're not preparing for your spouse to die or for a divorce to happen. You're not necessarily preparing for that. It's it's more like you're trying to protect yourself from these things happening to you. And I think if people see it more as protection rather than say, "Oh, you're preparing for this because you think that you might want to be you might want to leave me," or you're preparing for this. In preparing for this because you don't want me to be around. I think that's not 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 say there's always going to be some not exactly great great actors out there. But I think in general, um, do it. People should be doing it just to protect themselves in the in the, in the unfortunate event that something happens. Mm-hmm. It works both ways. It works for the for the for the wife and for the uh, husband. It works both ways. Um, I think. It's just a part of life. It's the life cycle. And it is difficult to talk about. You, uh, there were many days, uh, to your point about, you know, thinking that you're jinxing yourself. I, I started thinking, oh, oh, my God, did I, you know, did this affect my outcome? You know, writing the book and all of that. But then I had to realize, you know, it was going to happen at some point in time. So... I didn't necessarily jinx myself. What I'm proud of the fact is I started the the plan for securing myself early enough. Now, had I started as early as I probably should have or could have, it, things would have been even better. But at least they're as well as they are because I got started. And I think that the beginning for a lot of people is just something very simple as financial literacy. Mm. Where would you say women or men or people who are going to be, you know, the people who want to plan, where should they begin? Around what age and what's the first thing they should do? Well, I think I think if you're going to if you're going to get married, if you're thinking about getting married and you're and you know, I think you should go in with this being one of the agendas um, for 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 discussion, I, I think we see too often 
And, and, and I know it's exciting planning a wedding. My daughter, my youngest daughter is getting married in December. But now that she's this close to the day, she's wishing that she had just decided to go to the justice of the peace, mm-hmm. which is what I mm-hmm. suggested in the beginning mm-hmm. because she's spending so much money and you know, I contributed to that in a major way, but it's still, she's spending so much more above that. If, if young people, young adults who are talking about getting married, married would consider all of these other things just as important as the wedding day. And I think that, that, that if, if it's included in the counseling, you know, mm-hmm. premarital counseling at least suggested. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think it would help because they have the conversation in the beginning, and I, I have been surprised about how many people have been married for so long or for a good while who have heard this conversation and said to me, "I've got some things I've got to correct. I've got some things I've got to change." Um, this is making me think about whether or not my business is in order. And so I don't think it's ever too early. And we certainly don't want it to be too late. But I think as soon as there's a conversation about two people pl- making a commitment to each other, um, that conversation should take place. It's I'm guilty of that because I do premarital counseling and I've never mentioned it hasn't just hasn't occurred to me. But we talk finances and what they're currently doing about it and how they're going to manage it in the future once they have once they get married and have children. But definitely this topic is not something that I bring up and I'm guilty of it. But now that I have this in my mind, I can definitely say it at the beginning Just say, hey. This is also something you deeply need to consider. I know you're about to get married, but everything begins and ends. And this is part of the process just to keep it in mind. But I will. Absolutely. I'll take it into consideration. Yeah, because young people die. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not just old people. And ironically, uh, several months ago, even at my church, I was asked to encourage a young woman whose husband had died a few months prior. This young lady is only in her 30s. She has very young children. Her husband died unexpectedly. Um, Yeah, she went to the hospital. She was there a few days, and he didn't come home with her. And she's like half my age. And I'm like, this is this is a horrible thing. You know what I'm saying? She's got mm-hmm. to finish raising these children on her own unless she chooses to marry again. Her whole life is turned upside down. What I do know is all the money in the world is not going to replace that kind of loss, but it will make life a little bit better. It will help. And it's a sad thing to have to grieve twice. Right. Grieve for the loss. And then grieve because you have no way of knowing how you're going to survive. Right. Right. And I think, and I think that has a critical component to it. You know, grief. I mean, I mean, grief is grief is a 
is from what I've seen of a individualized experience. Everyone kind of grieves differently. They take different lengths to it, but you don't have to tack on, tack on additional financial responsibility to it. You know what the the discussion is reminding me of a show that uh, I watched I think a year ago now. It was called Couples Therapy, and it was really just basically just recording of uh, actual couple therapy sessions with real couples. Mm-hmm. And and one part that this reminds me of is um is one of the couples on that show um had this revelation about something. Because they finally talked about a, but they finally talked about something. I, I don't remember exactly what it was. I think it was about some kind of fear that the wife had. And she finally mentioned it to him and he turned to her and he said, you, we've been married for over 10 years and you've never mentioned this to me, even though this affects everything in our relationship. And I feel like it's easy to get in a position of comfort. A routine that you don't, and that you mysteriously just end up assuming that you knew this kind of information, assuming that everything was going to be, everything was, uh, everything was good, but you miss important things like planning, planning for, planning for divorce or planning for, planning for potential widowhood because you just get comfortable. You get comfortable where you are. And it's like, don't walk the boat. Don't do anything. Don't jinx it. Just keep, just keep plugging away at what you're doing. Do you, do you think that's something that's reflected in your own experiences? Um, yes, I would say yes. First, let me say that's the power of therapy. That therapy is an awesome thing because that is where so many things are revealed. But I, I do believe that we keep so much bottled up inside us that we don't have conversations that we believe are hard conversations whether it's it's because it's difficult for me to talk about it or whether i don't know how the other person is going to respond if i talk about it either way i think there are a lot of conversations that are not had that could save a lot of issues and problems and misunderstandings and just a whole lot of things. If a couple is already having problems and they're on the verge of breaking up, that is not a good time to ask, is there an insurance policy and am I the beneficiary? (laughs) That's not a good time to ask. So that's why I said, have a conversation and work these things out while everything is good, every, everybody's happy, you know, and it's just a matter of information. It's, conver- it's like conversation to make sure we have things in order while, while things are light and while things are good. But, yeah, it can become very difficult when things get rough to have these types of conversations. What are your thoughts on... Going off of that, what are your thoughts on having prenups when you get married? Because in that situation, it's not so much I'm preparing for divorce, but it's what you're coming in with, you keep, and what he's coming in with, he keeps, and we can choose to share it or not or whatever it is, depending on the relationship. But if anything were to happen where one of them passes, 
they at least have some kind of cushion? Well, I think, you know, prenups have their own negative stuff that goes with it. I, I would say that you can still do that as it relates to widows, as it relates to when you when you when you buy property, there's always this um oh the, what you call it just got away from me, but you get to decide who has the right of you know the next who's the next person who gets the house if it's your spouse. You can do this in so many other ways. If it's a bank account, you can add your spouse. If not as as a person to sign or write checks, you can add your spouse as a beneficiary so that that person can go to the bank and get the money. If it's not your spouse and you want it to be your children, when my husband passed, of course, our names were on every checking account together, no matter what, what account the account was for. So I had no issue there. But once he passed, I went to the bank and made sure that my daughters were beneficiaries. They mm-hmm. can't touch the money now. They can't write checks. But if something happens to me, they can go to the bank and get the money. So there are so many ways to add your spouse or whoever you want to be added to ensure that they get what you want them to have um, without a prenuptial agreement. Mm. But if both parties are in agreement for the prenuptial, because it really comes down to trust. So if both parties are in agreement, Without any reservation, sure. But if that's not working out, mm-hmm. there are other ways. There are other things that can be done to ensure that the people you want to benefit will benefit. Right. I think in and I think when you're talking about that, I mean it is an important it is an important thing. It's almost like you're going through the documentation and you're checking the boxes and you're just making sure that everything is properly apportioned out, that the right people are your beneficiaries, that you have a beneficiary labeled at all. I mean, it can be easy to forget to even fill in that field, especially nowadays where, you know, it's basically just you just type in the name and the phone number, phone number, possibly the social, depending on what exactly the um, the program is. And you just and you just have to hit enter. But if you don't do that, and something happens five, ten years down the line, there can be a lot of there can be a lot of unfortunate consequences when the when it's not clear who exactly is getting it. And one thing that I wanted to um, touch upon was that you know you mentioned these thing, a lot of things that don't really get mentioned, don't only get talked about, issues that don't get hashed out um, before people get married. Do you think there's do you think there's a deficiency in the way that we approach in that uh, modern the modern American society approaches premarital counseling right now if they're not because it sounds like they're not talking about issues that they really should be? What are your thoughts about that? I think we can do more. I think we can do more. I think it has come a long way, premarital counseling and a long way in the sense that you have more people who are willing to do it. You know, you have a lot of people that say, we don't need that. You know, we love each other. We're good. But then they don't, but they don't really understand what it means for two people who come from two totally different backgrounds to begin to live together. 
and without counseling, it is very easy to begin hating each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at least if you have the counseling, you can say, okay, wait a minute. The therapist brought this up. This, he said this would happen. The therapist said that I would get angry with you about which way you want the toilet paper, you know, to come over. Or the therapist said you we would get angry about which way we handle the toothpaste and all. So I think we've come a long way and we've done well, but I think we need to push the envelope just a little bit more. And, and, and with that, I, I think just statistics or maybe not just statistics, conversations, surveys about what's really happening with families or couples. We know money is at the top of the list always. But there are other things that become a problem. And ironically, just before I came on this morning, I was listening to the link for the pre- a previous broadcast of yours, and it was the one about the different cultures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God believing that it was a good idea to help her mother-in-law clean up the kitchen. And I'm thinking, that's the background I come from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but then them being offended your in-laws being offended because that is not something that 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 culture thinks should be done. So I think even conversations about the different backgrounds mm-hmm. that each person is coming from, you know, because you're just assuming that because your your family members met each other and they kind of like each other, but they don't know each other. They just met and they seem pleasant. But you don't know about the culture or anything, all of those things. So all of that being said, I think counseling could be pushed a little bit further. It could be some things that maybe are not addressed could mm-hmm. be added. And and preparing for your future should you lose one or one, you know, one of the mates is certainly something I think is critical. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. You know, in our situation, um, you know, we have, we do come from different backgrounds. So similarities between like Chinese, Chinese, Canadian culture that I come from and the, and the more Mexican American culture that my wife comes from. But there are certainly differences. And I, I think having a frank and honest conversation about that goes a long way. You know, as I'm sure pretty much almost every therapist I don't like making blanket statements entirely, but I'm sure almost every therapist says that communication is essential. And it really just comes down to communicating everything beforehand, as well as the ability to do conflict resolution and communicate it while the situation is happening. Because the the reality is that life is is complicated, man. There's a lot of different things that have been going on, and... Unless you have a checklist of literally everything that could possibly happen and you're always adding to it all the time, there's going to be something you missed. Something you just plumb forgot about. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you'll never have a complete list. Once you think the list is complete, <laughs> something new pops up. Yeah. And yeah. how do we miss this? Or how do we... So, you know, of course... It takes a lot of work. You can you can do all of the premarital counseling there is. You can add to the list there, um, but it's still a, it's still ultimately about the two individuals and what they 
what they will do together because they can completely ignore the premarital counseling. Um, but I do, I still believe that in the counseling, we could at least say this was covered and now it is left to mm -hmm. the two of you to, to figure it out, to work it out, to consider all things. Um, but I, again, I feel like if, you know, a couple, they love each other. They, they start to have children together. If you love your family, you love your spouse, you love your children, you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure they are always secure. Mm -hmm. Even after you're gone, even after you're, you know, you leave here, you want to make sure they're secure. Right. It's an, I think another thing to that, to being a, even able to have that conversation is to really be open-minded about it where people, uh, they don't get insulted if they have that conversation or they think, oh, you're wishing something bad to happen to us. And like in those situations, the mind really does kind of close. So yeah. it's hard to even have the conversation. You have to wait a few years until you touch on it again. And I I've seen it with my clients where if they close their minds, they can't really move forward. They can't even begin the process of planning because the conversation doesn't just doesn't happen. It keeps getting thwarted either with fear yeah. with because when you're getting married, if it's happening that early on, they're thinking we're we're just getting married. Why are we talking about the end? And it gets overwhelming. So sometimes people aren't ready. But then you think, OK, this isn't me wishing that I want this to happen, but it's, it is going to happen to either one of us, unless, I don't know, they somehow get right. the same, the same illness and they pass at the same time and they had no children, then they can, I guess they could just let the government handle everything or their, their families. But right. that does not often happen. One goes over first than the other. And statistically, women live longer than men. I'm, I'm not sure Absolutely. why. So it's, Absolutely. it's a yeah. scary thought. Yeah. Uh, that, and I think that's part of that's part of my issue and concern as and speaking more about widows as, as opposed to the widower. I just because women live longer. And I'm thinking, at least women be aware of the fact that your spouse is likely, according to statistics, to go before you. It doesn't happen in every situation, but if you're if you're if you're considering statistics, and so at what point will we be responsible enough? Even if it means we have to bring it up. Now, in my case, my husband was always wanting to have the conversation. When I die, when I die, I said, I don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I was the one. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want. And then, you know, as I started learning more as it related to financial literacy and everything that goes into that, it's more than just saving money and having a bank account. Um, my eyes were open and I just started making sure that I was doing certain things. And then, of course, as I mentioned early on, the experience of watching my mom and what we dealt with when my parents divorced, then watching the women in my culture context 
that ended up divorced, how their lifestyles changed so drastically when their husbands passed. And I'm like, okay, there's a pattern here. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what can we do for ourselves? You know, what Mm -hmm. can we do to, to, to change this? Yeah, it's certainly things to keep in mind. Uh, I'm not sure what the exact numbers are for life expectancy for women compared to men, but you know, if it's something like two years above, then I hit the jackpot because we're about the same. We're about that difference in age, aren't we, honey? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the two years. I, I got you protected. I got. I had to make sure it was good. Right. But uh, aside from that, I mean, it's from the statistics that I, I got from your book, it seems like women were disproportionately affected by this compared to men. Why do you think this is the case? Oh, wait, wait, Tony, to your point, I, I got the stats. It's life ex- Americans for the American women that have a life expectancy of 79 years in 2021 compared to men's, which is 73 so I I gotta get four years younger. Or you gotta yes. get four years younger. <laughs> right. Well, I think I know which route we're going with if that comes be that becomes an option. You have to get younger, Tony. <laughs> yeah. I'll go yeah. Back to being you a gotta baby. figure out how to reverse this. <laughs> I'm not getting any older, all right. We get enough problems already. Oh, <laughs> well, you know, maybe I'll look up maybe I'll look up what Gong Gong use Gong user skincare routine is. And oh my goodness. There. Yeah, he's a really famous uh, Korean actor <laughs> that I like. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so why do you think that so women are more disproportionately affected by this? What do you mean? The um, well, because you, you said stuff because you have some statistics that seem to suggest that you know seven out of eight are widows, all women. Which is kind of explained by life expectancy bit, but I don't think quite fully explained by that. And uh, as well as the, um, as well as statistics, statistics about, you know, women having, well, like worse quality standards of living and financial situations, um, compared to men after divorce, which I, I've, which is something that I, I can back up a little bit. You know, I did economics in university and we did look at a few studies that did suggest that men were Pretty much the same, well, mostly the same after divorce, at least from a financial situation. But women tended to be tended to have worse outcomes. And why do you think that? Why do you think that's the case, Doctor? Well, if if I'm gonna guess, if I'm gonna guess, because I don't, you know, I haven't, I haven't gotten a lot of information from those particular studies. But for the male, he doesn't, he doesn't really lose anything. Well, I mean, he, he may have to pay child support and, and um, you know, spousal support. But if he has his same job and he's still working and making money and doing what he's doing, the wife no longer has that salary except for whatever part of the support he's going to provide. She still has the kids and her same job. Mm-hmm. She's now she's got to be responsible for a roof over their heads. She's got to work now add chair care, child care without any support from a spouse. Then I think there's a lot of basic things that become an issue. And sometimes 
um, it appears that the, the spouse or the male gets off almost like scot-free, but then, you know, I don't know. That, that, could part, that could be part of my experience with my parents divorcing. I don't know. So, but I don't really have statistics for why or, or what are all of the variables that, that would be considered for why women seem to, um, they don't seem to make it as well. Mm-hmm. Whether the spouse is whether it's a divorce or or death. One thing that yeah, I don't know about the studies that he has read about either. But one thing that I've noticed, at least with my uh, experience working with women who've either lost someone or they've had to leave um, someone or there was divorce, uh, I noticed that they. They, since they take, if, if this is in one scenario, if they were child rearing and they used to work and then they had children and then they stopped working or they went into part time to take care of their children, they do that for so long that they end up losing a lot of confidence in themselves in the workforce. So whenever they need to go back, um, they don't feel confident in doing it and, or, they aren't received well back into the workforce because they've had 10 or I don't know how long, 15, 18 years of not working. And that right. staying at home as a mother isn't considered a job, despite that it does need to be done if you want to take care of your children yourself. No one else is going to do it for you unless you're very rich. And then at that point, someone else right. can. But obviously, that's a privilege that a lot of people wouldn't have or would want either. If you have children, you want to take care of your own kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I've noticed. It's, it's, it's like a, a a cycle they get stuck in and getting out of that is difficult for some women. They can, they definitely can. And I've seen people persevere, but I would say that's the biggest one in that scenario that I've seen where they really, they just don't have that confidence. Yes, they can get out of it, but they definitely need their, they need support. Like they need their family. They need their friends. It's, it takes a village to get someone back into society after being just, just being with your children and dedicating your life to your children and then having to go back into the world. Right. And I think that's, so don't you think, I'm sorry. No, you can but, go on. Um, so, Donna, don't you think that, that things would, could be different if a person, and I know this, this part of this could be wishful thinking, but just imagine a woman going into a situation or a marital situation, having thought through all of these issues that we just talked about and deciding this is going to be my what if plan. If mm. this happens, this is what I what what my plan is, and she works toward that. Still loving her spouse, still being a good wife, or whatever that looks like, or whatever that means, being an exceptional mother, all of that. But here's the plan: if this fails, don't you think we do better? The statistics would change drastically. I think it would help if they do develop a plan. 
And in addition to that, something that I do discuss with my clients is for at least for women, if they're the ones or men, whoever chooses to stay with the children most of the time to not stop working, to do it part time, to make time for themselves, because that is self and personal enrichment. And in addition to having the plan, if you don't feel like you have the skills to enact the plan because you haven't been working or doing whatever gives you that confidence, then it won't, it doesn't work out for you either because it's, it's difficult right. to get, it's, it's similar to, I actually had a conversation about this with my friend. She, um, with driving, it has to do with, with people who like to do, who are struggling with driving or who initially struggled with driving, didn't like it. They go into driving And then they're like, you know what? I actually don't need to drive. I can just take an Uber or I can adjust in this other way and I can get a ride. They get out of the habit of driving themselves and the ability to drive starts to dwindle over time. So when they find themselves needing to drive again, it's an extremely scary thing to do. And that's kind of where the anxiety would start to build up in them and it can swallow people. It debilitates them. So I really think to answer your question, keeping up that which gives you personal enrichment, if that is a job, or if that is something that allows you to maintain your skill set and have that plan, I think both of those in tandem would really help. Right. And I, I think agree. I agree. And important, an important addition to that, I think, is also just the general culture that we have in this society about, you know, how men, how men should be and how women should be. Um, you know, the traditional perspective is that, you know, the woman's in the house and the man takes care of the things outside of the house. And when we look at, and, and that what that stuff works when you're in that, well, it works to a varying degree of success up to your personal experience. Your mileage may vary in that traditional, in that traditional family unit. But I think when that stuff, when that unit breaks, then I think women are a, well more disadvantaged in that regard. They're not as encouraged as much to go out and uh, find and find uh, find joy through occupation. More of them tend to be stay-at-home mothers, which is a valuable is a valuable thing. You know, there's a discussion mm-hmm. about the economic value of paying for something that you could get for free if you just did it yourself, and that's that's kind of an ongoing ongoing debate about that. But, well, um, it's love. Your mo- your mothers love you. And that's my mom was a stay-at-home mom and she dedicated her whole life to us. So it's not it's to dedicate one's life. Just thinking of it that way. They're dedicating their life to you. Their life revolves around you. It's not right. to be taken lightly at all, for sure. Right. And you know, there is definitely that component to it. Because you know that women are expected to be the primary caretakers of the kids, of the family. And I think there's a lot of expectation because you carry that because the modern, a, a lot of cultural context for that here is that the woman is expected to really just do all of it. You know, you're supposed to be the boss lady. You're supposed to be the caregiver at home. And I I've, I see that reflected in my personal experience. I've only ever met one stay-at-home dad. I've met at least five-plus stay-at-home moms. Mm-hmm. And I think 
if things were a little more equitable in that department with you know who stays at home and stuff like that or maybe they just kind of outsource it out to babysitters and other kinds of sources you know that's a ongoing debate too but i think with that woman would be well more capable of being well well not more capable but let less less disastrously affected by these events happening otherwise if they Otherwise, if they didn't have these cultural expectations of, well, giving up the occupation or focusing on being a mother compared to men who's really when I was growing up, the, the theme when I was growing up as a as a man was making money. That mm-hmm. was your sole goal. That was how you provide for your family. That's how you show love. You got to make money. And mm-hmm. and, and uh, for, for better or worse, money gets you a lot of things, gets you all the essentials in life, p- pretty much. It doesn't get you love, though. Yeah. It doesn't get you love, <laughs> right. but, right. but you, you can, know... You can buy things, but you can't buy love. You know, women t- do tend to be more attracted to financially successful men, men who have stable careers, incomes. Love? There does you go. That, does, does that equal love? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Gives you more opportunities for love, stuff like that, you know? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're running close on time here. We only got a few minutes left. So, last question uh, for you here. Well, last comment. You know, when when people read your book and they're going and they're thinking about the issues of you know divorce, widowhood, abandonment, or, or, or similar or similar topics. What's something that you think is, is really important for people to keep in mind that's often not talked about? Well, I think we've kind of covered it, hit and missed it. Is that is, as much as we enjoy living and enjoy life, and I think we should always live our lives as best we can, at some point, at some day, down the road, we're going to leave here. And that's just the life cycle. That's the reality. And so we, we don't want to partially deal with the life cycle and not be prepared for the end of the cycle. Um, and if there is, there's a, a family, uh, certainly that I think that the parents should be responsible enough to ensure that if they happen to leave their children behind, that they're covered, not necessarily adult children, but there are so many small children who lose their parents Mm -hmm. and then somebody else has to take care of them or the state has to take care of them or whatever. And I just think that if we can teach people how to be a little bit more responsible in the things that are not easy to talk about, but do it anyway, I think we'll be better off and we'll leave our spouses better off and we'll leave our children better off. That's that's a, that's an excellent message and I, I do think that's very important. I mean, and they, you got to think about what's important. Even if it's not something you really want to think about. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to think about us dying. Nobody wants to think about their right. personal death. But right. things happen. It and will happen. Th- yeah, it will happen. I mean... <laughs> yeah. It's not going to yeah. happen to everybody. Eventually. Yes. But some 
you know, not in the specific situations won't happen to everybody. Like not everyone's going to get whittled at 25 or 30 or however eight, whatever age it is, but they do happen and they always happen to someone out there. And in that off chance that it happens to be you, you best be prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the thing is you don't know when it will happen. You can, you can have hopes and dreams, for a, whole, a full, long life. And that's what all of us would hope for. But you never know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you so much, Doctor. I really enjoyed talking to you and hearing your perspective on not just your book, but on your own experiences that contributed to this and, and to what you wrote. So it really, uh, I feel like... If it came close to home, it was really close to home. But I feel like we were, we were there. We were. You gave us a glimpse of what we need to know. And now I need to start my own plan because uh, I haven't done it. So, so we need to talk about that. Whoa, whoa, whoa! We're gonna talk about that after. Because you're only gonna live. You're living until seventy three. So I gotta get. I gotta get my my stuff together. <laughs> Get, get your stuff together just and just put it away. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes, well, thank you We're so happy. much for hopping on with us, Doctor. I really appreciate the openness that you have for sharing so much of what you know with us, with us here. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Thank you so much for tuning in today to The X Show. I, as always, I am your host, Tony Shu. You can contact me on our Facebook page as well as by emailing me at tonyshoecapital.co as well as my wonderful co-host Donna. You can reach her, reach out to her at serenitycounselingbcs.com. And if you want to reach out to our special guest today, Dr. Sabrina Ellis, you can email her at free to five at gmail.com. That is F-R-E-E-T-O-T-H-R-I-V-E at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening, and we'll catch you next time.